Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Hey, Pastor Simon and Horsham Church of Christ. So good to be with you this morning. I'm John Finkeldy from Grow a Healthy Church. And while I was meant to be with you physically out in Horsham uh, in this weekend, I'm obviously unable to do that in this pandemic crisis, but it's great to be with you online. I want to jump into the scriptures with you this morning, talk about one of the most remarkable journeys outlined in the New Testament. Uh, Luke, in writing the book of Acts, uh, spends what I think is almost an inordinate amount of time with Paul's journey in Acts 27 and 28, his journey from Israel through to Rome. In fact, the the amount of time he spends on this is is longer than the birth of the church in Acts 2. So it's quite a remarkable thing because a piece of parchment back in the day, the first century, was very expensive. So he wasn't one to waste words, Luke. Uh, So I'm fascinated by this. And this journey of Acts 27, 28, I think uh, serves as a kind of parable, a metaphor in some ways, if you like, about the journey that we have as Christians, because the whole book of Acts travels from Jerusalem through to Rome, uh, covering all sorts of aspects of the birth of the church. But I want to focus in on Acts 27, 28. And I think in the current journey that we're on at the moment, um, I think it has some really good uh, help for us in that. Let's jump into Acts 27, verse 1. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion called Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Dretium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. First thing I see in this journey that Luke outlines is that he had a really good friend with him, Aristarchus. And we actually will find out in the story that Luke is also there. Paul says, uh, Luke rather writes, Aristarchus was with us. And whenever you see the word us in the book of Acts, it means Luke was in that scenario. So Paul is not alone on this journey. He has Aristarchus and Luke. And it's obvious, isn't it, that when he gets to the next place at Sidon, he wanted to go and see his friends. And I think all of us at the moment are longing to leave our home to go see our family or our friends. Our our son visited us uh, early this week and dropped off that pot of gold called toilet paper these days. And As he stood a couple of metres away from our front door, he put the toilet paper on the front mat and then stepped back and We said, do you want to come inside? He's got two young kids. And he said, oh, if it's okay, no. And I wanted to rush out and give him a big hug and a kiss. Every time I see my son, we're big huggers. We hug and kiss and just love my big, gorgeous son. He's in his mid-30s, a big boy. He's a great boy. I call him a boy. He's a man. Um, But, oh, just longing to be with him more than just a two-meter social distancing chat at the front door. And i got friends I want to go and have coffee with friends realize how valuable our friends are in this sort of time of social isolation and distancing how much we need our friends and how important it is i found to 
get on Zoom calls, get on WhatsApp, get on Messenger and just chat and see people's faces and hear their voices. We're really discovering, I think, in a fresh way, the value of friendships in the journey. And I know it's a bit of a cliche journey with friends, but I think this level of isolation and distancing is actually going to put within us a longing for friendship, a longing to be with one another. And I think that's actually a probably positive thing that will be coming out of this whole crisis, this whole pandemic. Verse 4, continuing Acts 27, From there we put out to sea again and passed to the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And I want you to notice a few phrases in this next passage, moving on from Paul with his friends to see what happens in the journey. The winds were against us. When we sailed across the open sea off the coast of Sicilia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy. It's a Mediterranean cruise, folks. <laughs> Maybe not quite. And put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Nidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete opposite Salmon. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. I want you to notice the repetition of phrase that, that Luke is giving us a real picture of this journey. The winds were against us. We made slow headway. The word difficulty appears twice. And again, the wind did not allow us. There's these five references to opposition, to, to things that were tough to do, that things were way slower than we wanted them to be. I think one of the challenges in this crisis is the fact that there's no end date. Um, we, we are built for beginnings and endings. There's something in us. Even in Genesis 1, there's evening and morning and then so the first day or morning and evening, the other way around, whichever way it goes. Um, there's this sense of cycle of sunrise and sunset, the end of the day, the end of the week, the, the weekend, we call it, the end of the year when we go on annual holidays. We live in a cycle where things start and things end. And one of the the challenges, I think, that it really does make it hard for us to, to do well in this season is that sense of when is it going to end? I'm sure you've asked yourself that question. And there are seasons that we go through in our Christian life where things are difficult, where the wind is against us and the opposition. And this, this is far more than what, what I think I'm describing here. What we're currently in is bigger than this. But There'll be seasons you can look back on in your Christian life where things were difficult, things were slow headway. I, I know Di and I, at times in our married life, things have been difficult. I remember one time when Di set me down when we had a young family and I was a tearaway uh, addict, youth pastor, and she set me down one day and said, this is not working. Our marriage is in a difficult place. It feels like we're just not going where we need to be going. We're going really slow here. We're going at the wrong pace and you're out five nights a week and you're serving the Lord. But what about your children? What about me? And wow, I'll never forget that conversation we had in our family room. I'll never forget where I sat. As my wife explained to me, hey, this season is way too difficult. You have to change. And I really had to shift gears, give far more attention to my wife and my children at that stage of their life. And I think there are seasons you can look back on and go, man, that was a tough season. 
But you can also see in the, in the middle of it, and this is a wonderful thing to do whenever you're going through some tough times, is look back. Say, I remember going through that. I remember the Lord being faithful in that. I remember my friends helping me through that. I remember getting wise counsel. And I think in a tough season, man alive, we need to look back and say, God, you were faithful back then. You provided back then. In fact, I think this is, this is a wonderful thing I've been doing in my own heart and mind is, as I've looked at the future and gone, well, where's the provision? Well, Lord, I have seen worse days than what I'm facing now. And that's the truth. I've faced bigger financial challenges than what I'm facing now, but I've seen God provide miraculously over my nearly five decades of following Jesus. And I know he's going to provide for you and for me. He is faithful. Great is your faithfulness. That old hymn, man alive, good to run that through your heart and mind is great is your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Well, the journey continues in verse 9 of Acts 27. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned the men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. And since the harbour was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. There was a harbour in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. Here's an interesting thing where Luke lays out the advice of Paul, the wise man of God who said, I don't think this is going to be a good voyage. We should not do this. I think we could lose the ship and the cargo and people could die as well. And he gives us what is godly, wise advice. And the owner won't listen to him. The centurion won't listen to him. Um, the pilot says, no, no, we're good to go. And the majority go, yes, we're going. I think it's really vital whenever you're going through a journey in life that when you make major decisions, that you get wise, godly advice. I love the fact that our, <clears throat> excuse me, I love the fact that our uh, prime minister is leading us with some strength and direction and guidance. And regardless of your politics, I think I love it the fact that our premiers and our prime minister are working together to say, "Hey, here's the course of action we need to follow to get through this." And I'm listening to them, going, "Yep, I'm going to obey." What you're telling me, do I like it? You've got to be joking. Sitting at home, self-isolated, um, walking through this difficult time. I've had two weeks in self-isolation after I came home from overseas. I'm out of that now, so I can go for a daily walk. But I don't like it, but it's wise, godly advice. All the advice about the sanitizing and washing of hands, of self-isolating and distancing. It's wise advice. And I think, I think Christians, above everybody else, should be heeding and following your wise advice. Can I also encourage you to follow the advice of your godly leaders, Pastor Simon and the leadership team at Horsham here, that you listen to them, lean into what they're counseling, lean into what they're wisely advising you at this time. And I think it will go better for you when you take on wise counsel. And can I also suggest that in a time like this, when, when all our emotions are up and down, when I woke up this morning, I was feeling flat as a tack, just tired. The weather outside was murky, and that's how I felt inside, murky. 
And as I kind of talked to a few friends at a Zoom call, had a kind of coffee with friends over Zoom and kind of got into scriptures, prayed a bit. And then I just kind of stood up. I was downstairs in our backyard and I just stood up and said, well, let's get on with the day, John. Let's just want to make it happen. And I just kind of, kind of lifted myself up into that point of, all right, I'm feeling better now. However, what I would advise you is when you have murky days, days that you feel stressed and flat, and we'll all have them through this period, we'll have days when we're lamenting, where we feel sad and downcast. Don't make any major decisions when you're feeling like that. Ring a friend, call a friend, phone a friend, pull someone up on Zoom or get them on Messenger and see their face and say, hey, look, I'm really thinking of doing this and get some wise counsel and advice. Don't just go with the majority. Get wise, godly advice. Great, great, great advice any time of your life, but I think especially in this season. Okay, let's jump into my last point, and this is where things get rather hairy on this trip. Verse 13 of Acts 27. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Corda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Cyrus. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. I mean, that's basically throwing money away. The cargo, that's the trading goods, is getting chucked overboard. The owner of the ship began, well, there's my paycheck from this journey. It ain't going to happen. So their lives were so threatened, they thought, whatever we're going to do to save our life, we'll get rid of the cargo. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. The ship's tackle is not the fishing tackle we use down at the beach or in the river to catch some fish. Fish tackles are sails. Folks, this is a sailing ship on the Mediterranean Sea, and they're throwing over the spare sails. They're just trying to lighten the ship. I mean, if the sails are ripped, what are they going to do? Just float. But their life became so important to them. More than anything else, they just offloaded everything else. And here's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, in my paper Bible. I'm reading my digital Bible on my screen here. But in my paper Bible, this verse is underlined. I love this verse. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Wow. We finally gave up all hope. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul. This is the great writer, Luke, wrote 26% of the New Testament, Luke and Acts. You've got Aristarchus, a church planting laborer with Paul and with Luke. You've got three godly. And I picture it that one day Aristarchus staggers around the ship and says to Paul and Luke, we're going down. We're finished. It's all over. And Paul and Luke say, pull yourself together, man. We Believe God. We've got hope. Let's believe. And next day, Luke staggers out. Paul says, no, no, Aristarchus is right. We're finished. Finally, I'm giving up hope. There's no way. Paul says, come on, man. Shape up. And the next day, Paul says, Luke and Aristarchus, you're right. We're done. We're finished. 
We finally gave up all hope of being saved. You know, I think the truth here is, is that when you give up, God doesn't. Uh, 20-odd years ago, I went through a 15-month period of terrible, deep, dark depression. Had a major mentor in my life. Uh, the relationship with him broke down and damaged me deeply. And I was in a, in a fit of despair and at times even suicidal. And pastoring our church, we're about to go into a building program. It was a horrible time of life. And, but I refused to give up praying. So every morning I'd go and sit with the Lord and not say much. It was pretty pathetic prayer. But at least I was waiting trying to hear from God. And one morning as I'm sitting there waiting on the Lord, I have this mental vision in my mind, just a, a picture. And I, and I see a hand coming down from heaven and grabbing my shirt. And I'm dangling arms and legs like a rag doll. And this arm, just the hand of God hanging onto my shirt. And I'm just hanging, dangling. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you can let go, but I never will. And that word put such hope in my heart that even though I felt weak, even though I felt distressed, I felt demolished, I thought it's so dark I can't see the future. Uh, the depression was so heavy on me that I realized that, you know what, Lord, you're hanging on to me even when I can't hang on to you. And you may feel in this storm, we are in a life-threatening, literally life-threatening and life-changing storm at the moment. We will not be the same coming out the other side of this storm. Is that even at times when you feel you just can't hang on to God, He's got a hold of you. He will not let you go. And I love as I wrap up this story and uh, verse 21, after, they, after they'd gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. <laughs> I told you so, he said. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. He obviously was. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. And so let me read this next verse for you. So keep up your courage. So keep up your courage. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. So keep up your courage. Have faith in God. Put your trust and your hope and your rest in him. And thank you so much for having me in your service today. Can I pray for you, please, as I finish? Father, I'm praying right now for everybody hearing my voice Lord, that they will keep up their courage. They'll find strength in you, Jesus. I'm praying that they'll have a gift of faith, Lord, that they'll believe that you are with them, that you are walking with them, that you will provide for them through this whole experience, this whole life-threatening yet life-changing storm. Jesus, comfort your people, shepherd your people. Do this for your sake and your glory. Amen. God bless your church.